Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, okay, listen now for the click track, everybody. Uh, and away we go. This is... Uh Track one, take one, yeah. One, two, three, four. Hello, my name is Sonic Architect Adam, and this is Before the Encore. Hello, it's nice to be back. So wherever you're listening right now, I can already hear you say, I wonder why the hell before the encore is appearing on Friday. Uh, it's not the last Monday of the month. Why is this appearing in my feed? Well, um, as Patreon uh, subscribers would have received in their feeds earlier this week, um, Dave and Craig's schedule and some other things that are just beyond the podcast control didn't line up this week. So we haven't actually been able to get in to record an episode, which is a very rare occurrence. I'm sure regular listeners of the show um, will know. A uh, very, very rare occurrence, but I'm going to step in this week and I'm going to drop before the encore just a couple of days early. It was used to come out on Monday. Um, so uh, for anyone who is used to the Friday feed that hasn't actually uh, stepped into the world of before the encore, just a little bit of what it's about. Um, so looking to, I suppose, give a bit more information on um, give a little bit more information on the music industry as a whole and, you know, things that go on behind the scenes and studios and songwriting sessions. Um, you know, what managers do, what PR people do, what people who work with labels do. Um, just again, trying to have the conversation because it was something that I felt was missing when I, um, you know, when I started, I suppose, progressing myself into uh, somewhere to work in the music industry um, as in progressing from a band into a kind of a production role and working in studios instead and um, if I feel like if I had the information earlier um, you know I would have I would have spent a lot more time focusing earlier on working my way into studios rather than you know, whatever, following the route I did but that's it, it doesn't make any difference I just want to put information out there for people to have that I didn't have um, and you know I, 
I hope it gives a bit more of a round picture of what the music industry is because it's seen as this kind of, you know, mysterious, cloaked, uh, you know, almost like mystical industry to a degree where no one, not no one knows how anything works. It's a bit of a sweetened statement, but it's, you know, there's a lot of mystery around certain roles and what certain things do and certain phrases and terminology. Um, in this particular episode, um, we talk about mastering. So like, that's something that, I mean, I certainly didn't know a whole lot about before we sat down and uh, I spoke to Richard. I knew roughly what it was a guideline for, but um, anyway, we'll get more into that in a little while. But it's nice to have you all on board if you're a first time listener of Before the Encore please consider uh, going on to the link tree. Um, it's linktr.ee forward slash no encore show. If you want to take a look there, there's a full discography of um, Before the Encore. So all the episodes are all in the playlist. And we've also got one for No Popcorn as well that Dave um, would have looked after. Um, so we've got that in there with all the No Popcorn episodes to date. And uh, yeah, you can go back and listen to the whole discography. I speak with producers, I speak with managers, I speak with mixing engineers. Um, I speak with uh, Niall McGonagall, studio manager of Windmill Lane Studios. Uh, there's a whole plethora of people in there. It's a really, really interesting and insightful listen back. I certainly gained a lot of knowledge when I was recording all those episodes. So yeah, it's nice to do it. But like I said, um, just this week, we're going to have this in place of the normal podcast. Hopefully regular scheduling will be back um, as of next week. So you'll have Dave and Craig and their dulcet tones back in your ears next Friday. Um, so thanks a million for uh, tuning in this week in place of the lads. And uh, yeah, like I said, back to normal next week. Thanks for persevering and thanks for tuning back in after what was um, a very lovely August for me. I had such a lovely time. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was away for most of the month in Greece, which is a uh, a place that's very, very close to my heart. And um, it was a big holiday that I wanted to do after leaving my job and going into music full time. Um, so had to get it out of my system. Uh, I'm back now. Uh, it's nice to be back. It's nice to be back in the swing of things and thinking about before the encore again and thinking about maybe people that I haven't necessarily thought of yet or like avenues of the music industry that I haven't thought to walk down yet um, and learn a little bit more. But... This one is super, super special and um, I think this one is going to resonate with a lot of people and while there's a lot of like jargony speak and stuff in this episode, I think that like the overarching concept of it is something that's going to, I don't know if it'll clear up per se um, what it's all about, but um, I suppose shed a bit more light on the mythical dark art of mastering this month I'm speaking to Richard Dowling of WAV Mastering in Limerick. Um, Richard currently boasts the only purpose-built mastering studio in the country, in Ireland. And I was very fortunate. Um, I actually went down to his studio to record this episode. He kindly invited me down and um, yeah, we we sat and talked off mic for a little while just about his work. And um, we've had a very close working relationship for a long time, um, coming up to three years now, I think. Um so it was very nice to see, you know, where everything gets done from the perspective of anything I send him and um, I suppose, you know, what his process is like and what his gear is like and the space he works in and just to kind of sit down and have a chat with him because we'd actually 
you know, while we've been working together for three years, we'd actually only met once before. I suppose in a pandemic world, we didn't have the chance to meet again um, since Music Cork in 2019, I believe it was in April 2019. So, um, yeah, it was really nice just to catch up and have a bit of FaceTime with uh, with a person who I consider a close colleague, I suppose, at this point. Um, so, yeah, really, really had a good time, had a great chat. And uh, hopefully this, you know, I suppose I use pull back the curtain a lot as like a, you know, a phrase that this podcast is associated with and this like avenue of the No Encore podcast is associated with. And I think that's what we really tried to do here. But um, I mean, take from it what you will. I really loved hearing about a totally different process, something that I quite frankly knew precious little about. I knew it was like the finishing stage of a song after um, a song is mixed. It, pre- it prepares it for vinyl, prepares it for radio, uh, prepares it for streaming services. Uh, and we get into all of that and how, I suppose, the mastering role has changed and it has changed drastically over um, the last number of decades. Richard has been in the industry for a number of years now, um, going back to the 90s in um, in London. He started his career in London. We get into that and how that all came about. And, you know, then he moved back and obviously analog faded out over time and now it's obviously streaming and uh, yeah it was a very interesting development and a very interesting chat over the course of an hour and a, and a half or however long it was that we were there and yeah I think this will shed a lot of light for a lot of people on what mastering is and the importance of mastering because it is such an imperative process you cannot necessarily get away I don't actually no I'm going to scrap that I don't think you can get away with not mastering a record you have to master it you have like it has to be mixed and it has to be mastered it's the final step um I think I suppose more seasoned musicians and seasoned artists will know that this is the process and they will you know they'll know that this is a th- a thing that has to be done but for newer artists out there or for people in the industry you know mix engineers and stuff like that who maybe only kind of you know, cutting their teeth now and who want to know a little bit more about the process. Um, hopefully this is the podcast for you. I really tried to get there um, with it and it's something that I, you know, I tried to ask a lot of questions of Richard and um, how it all kind of went down and stuff. And I suppose the positioning of him as a mastering engineer in modern society now and modern music making society um, and what the role of it is and uh, where he sees his place and, you know, you know what he thinks of kind of the landscape right now and we talk about people who are doing mastering kind of like DIY stuff and bedrooms and how that sits and stuff like that so um yeah really enjoyed it um it's a long conversation but very informative and um also I'm not gonna I'll tease this now but I'm not going to kind of spend too much time on it some of the stuff that Richard has mastered is like you're going to know the songs if you don't know the names of them you're definitely going to know the artists or you're going to actually know the song itself already um i've peppered in a couple of clips here with some greats um richard has has a discography the length of his arm but i'll get into the full thing after the interview and we can kind of dissect what was in the podcast and i can go through some of the rest of his credits um, but yeah, really, really, really 
have a listen to these songs and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. You'll, you're going to know the songs. I was shook to my core um, the first time I had a look at his discography as well. Like some of the most iconic songs <laughs> uh, in certain genres in the last uh, 20, 30 years. So yeah, had a lot of fun with this one. As always, just a quick sidebar before we go into the interview. Um, before the Encore is part of the No Encore Music Podcast, um, the No Encore Music Podcast, a weekly podcast hosted by Dave Hanratty and Craig Fitzpatrick, two uh, phenomenal music journalists, really, really know their stuff, but um, more importantly than that, they are uh, incredibly close friends. And I think that pays dividends in the, the uh, quality of the podcast itself. Um, obviously, I'm very biased. I edit it every week and... I sit in with the guys and recording it. Um, it's been a total pleasure to be a part of it and they have made this podcast possible. So um, what I will ask is that um, if you like the show, please tell a friend about it, share a link in a WhatsApp group, um, you know, post about it online on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you can. Um, but if you love the show, please consider signing up to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash now encore. Um, we only ask for the price of a pint every month um, and it's really to show support for the show. We had very high hopes of, um, we have very high hopes of like a hell of a lot of bonus content, but unfortunately um, just due to working schedules and stuff like that, we haven't kind of been able to get to uh, an extreme level. There are a lot of episodes on there in the form of no ox chords some Q and a episodes. And you get a weekly episode preview every week, um, handwritten by Dave or Craig, usually by Dave. There tends to be playlists popping up every now and again. It is worth um, putting a fiver towards if uh, music podcasting is something that you love. And if you love what I do, um, I'm always open to suggestions. You can find me on Instagram at AdamMyFaultMusic or on Twitter at MyFaultMusic, all one word. Um, please feel free to reach out. Um, and... If you want to pass on some suggestions or anyone who you think might fit before the encore, please email us at uh, show at gmail.com or show on Instagram. Also, show I believe, on Twitter. Um, yeah, I would love to hear any suggestions that you may have for this next leg of the podcast because the first year felt to me like a total success. So, um Really, really glad to be able to do this as part of the No Encore podcast with the guys. Really, really glad to be able to be continuing this um, and shedding a bit more light in the music industry. And that's my spiel uh, for today. So without further ado, let's get into it with Richard Dowling, Mastering Engineer on Before the Encore. Slink his secrets Harder than the sun no trendy rush of I'm with you So I can't go on All my violence Raining tears upon the sheets I'm bewildered For a stranger's only I'm here in the 061, Limerick City. Limrock. Limrock, yeah. With uh, Richard Dowling, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, I appreciate it. I We've worked closely together for a couple of years. years now, yeah. yeah, a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, and 
Today we're going to get into the dark art of mastering and what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk firstly, I want to know how you kind of got to the point of getting into mastering and why that became your chosen, your chosen, yeah. your chosen alleyway. But like, I, I would assume you have a love for it as well. Well, without understanding it, yes, initially, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there's logic in that because yeah. it goes back to what I told you a while ago about collecting. Yeah. So, you know, initially, obviously, my love was music and buying sevens and even back in the day, I'd actually wait to go to the UK to get a seven because they had picture, picture sleeves and we didn't. Because the art, but so the Irish presents were usually. In a picture, in a in a like a jet, generic bag, what we call it. Mm. But now, actually, funny enough, they've become quite sought after now <laughs> in the, in the, in this new collecting world. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of it's you know the the, the love of music was there. Uh, say seventy eight, so about twelve. Started buying for Heart of Glass, probably my first seven inch, mm. and then in Limerick went to secondary, went to. Uh, what is now the Tuse, which is what it was, a technical college, Moorish. Okay. Um, did electronics. And then you were, fr- basically, you went from there to Wang, verbatim, analog devices. And that was your life. And that was the, like, that the, was the done path. thing back in the day. Yeah, it was a done thing, if you yeah. were, yeah. But, and now, obviously, this also was in kind of, we're, what we're still seeing now, and we have seen in the past since then, is in a wave of, the, of, the, of a diaspora that we're leaving in mm. the mid eighties. Yeah, um, and you, you know, you saw things like self aid, which are promote, you know, work and trying to get work in Ireland, but people were leaving. But I didn't leave for that reason. Mm. I left for the reason that I wanted to get into something else. I wanted to get into music. I didn't know how. Okay, so there was a. A monthly engineering magazine that came into Easton, and I saw a, a course advertised in Brixton, and uh, I said I wanted to do that. And the parents coughed up, and I live with an aunt, and I went to do this course in Brixton in '86, and I was completely lost because they were all musicians, so gates, compression, reverb, and no clue. <laughs> No, I was, but I did it. Yeah, and it was paid for. So you know, there was no standards then. It's okay. not like now. Uh, you know, you have to almost get a degree to, to start at the bottom, but you don't do that anymore because you don't. There's no bottom to start from anymore. Mm. So what you did then was basically write to every studio, looking for a runner or or tape up position. That's that's you starting at the bottom. Yeah, that's what you did. Uh, so what was it? I came back in the timeline. I came back in the January, um, and it was my twenty first in, in the March and April the first. I got on the Slattery's coach to London Town <laughs> again, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I just did that process of writing to studios, sleeping on a mate's couch, and I got one interview. And I got that job. Amazing. But the interview was actually on the premise of of the electronics. That's interesting. Because they want, though, 
Do you want someone to service the no, stuff? Or? No, 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 no. I haven't a clue all that. I wasn't, I wasn't at that, that level yet. <laughs> but basically, the studio boss needed another type up and an assistant, but the owners wouldn't allow him. But then he said, well, if you get someone in under a maintenance assistant, they can just be the type up. So there was a rouge okay. for him to get someone in to do something. Well, in this studio, as it worked out, you did everything anyway. So, mm, of course. But the the job was technically offered to me as, as a maintenance assistant. There was two maintenance engineers, and I got it because of my electronics. And uh, I want to touch on this briefly, but uh, I kind of felt that only years later, Malcolm was Jewish, and I kind of felt that maybe he saw that he wanted to support the underdog as well. And I didn't really hate me at the time. He said to me before, I bloke in before you had a Mohican and it looked the part. <laughs> and there, here comes the clean Irish guy with with the, the electronics background, so he'll suit. But I think maybe part of it was a minority, an, an underdog. Uh, I'll give this guy a break. and he, no, I, I'm thankful for that because that started it. Amazing. So after you got into the studio then, like... So in the studio, okay, so this is a... Not any ordinary studio. This okay. was... It was called PRT at the time, but it was Pie, Pie Studios of Marble Arch, which is a famous... 60 studio. Okay. So in the West End, you would have Air, Pi, a uh, couple of others. In the, but it, you know they were a major label in the 60s, um, and there was two studios and two cutting rooms, and the very first CD suite, editing suite, and copy rooms, with uh, quarter inch machines and the like. So it was everything. So I was in. The cutting room going, oh, this is cool. I'm hearing records before they come out, clearly, Richard. But, <laughs> you know, didn't know the process. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. I bought records. And I'm going, oh, wow, okay, I really, really like this. Uh, so I was always in with, with Noel because he would be cutting stuff for Crestless and mm. I would hear what he's doing. And then obviously, then rummaging and going, all right, what freebies have you got? <laughs> <laughs> any, any old acetates are you <laughs> the artist doesn't want uh, things like that yeah and um so once obviously that was what sparked the interest in being around like it was the same actually for me funnily enough i we were we were talking off mic earlier on and you know i kind of started off my career god listeners of the podcast are going to be sick at this story because they've heard it every fucking episode but um my kind of story was i started off in a band and i ended up in a studio situation like an actual studio situation that i kind of wouldn't have ended up in before we kind of progressed to a stage where we were actually working with a producer and an engineer in a studio and that was when i was first exposed to it and Oh oh my god, I like infatuation, like schoolboy level infatuation and obsession with what was happening. And to just be in that environment, I can understand why you latch on to it. I didn't have that, I just had a desire not to to do what was meant to be for me. I work in a multinational here in Limerick. I didn't, uh, you you know, look. I believe it's meant to be. I mean, as I said, I'm meant to be who I am and what I do. That's just I'm a one-trick pony now, but that's what I do. <laughs> um, yeah. So looking, yeah, 
looking back at it, yes. But at the time, it was out of interest, but was also more determined not to do the obvious, I guess. And then to get into the studio, that had all of it. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of interesting facets. Like, um, so Pi, as a label, was a big 60s label. But they had all the archive of all the tapes there, all the quarter inches. Okay, right. So uh, like one of the duties would be to run the copy room. So you, you literally would go down and get a copy of You Really Got Me. You have to know how to line up the quarter inch uh, be, uh, decode it mm. be encode the, the copies you were making top and tail them this is like this is 87 now this slightly changed a year later because the first DAT machines turned up but they were all again initially just used in the copying room as opposed to the studios mm. people were still mixing to half inch or quarter inch whatever depending on tape price more than anything else even then but obviously half inch was always better um, so there was all this so basically, and then we had twenty-four track Studers, and we had uh, Mitsubishi X850. But the point is that this is like almost one year, the final year of pure analog. Okay. And there's a lot to absorb from handling tapes and knowledge of music that, even in that one year, that still sits with me now mm. because of doing that. You know. Even so, you know, even on it's part of the knowledge. Yeah. It's like when a taxi driver drives around London, they have to, they have to have the knowledge. It's called the the knowledge. They have to know, and that's part of all the knowledge. And but so, uh, and so the, the the transition then um, after that, because like being in the era of analog, it's such a revered era now, and there's kind of like a lot of artists and even mix engineers, producers that are going back to the analog era and like using analog gear, analog synthesizer, stuff like that. But obviously yeah, yeah. like it's a very different, um, it's a very different world when you're in the studio setting because everything is still digital in that regard now, you know? So no, what, but obviously not, not when I started. But and, then, and then obviously my studio career only lasted three years. So <laughs> so I was kind of, I've left that behind. Uh, um, and then from there, um, what was the next step before you, like... It, talk yeah. uh, like early steps obviously being in you know doing your electronics so, yeah. and then yeah. obviously so, end stage you were sitting here in your lovely studio in Limerick at yeah. the moment so like what came then what came next okay so but that was obviously the start and then obviously I was lucky that that studio had lots of variants that I wasn't just the studio part of it of course and then, so I obviously then discovered mastering and basically what happened that building was being renovated and the, the label decided to sell the, the contents of the studio. And Malcolm, the boss, was great mates with Pete Waterman. And we were cutting lots of PWL records. We are cutting everything anyway. So he just talked Pete into buying all the equipment and then for all us to go down to the borough and we'd build a new mastering studio down there. And, and whereabouts was that? In Borough. Yeah. Oh, in Borough, sorry. Yeah. It's just now famous for its food marker, but just south of the river. And um, that's what happened. And then off we trundled. And as Martin Noel said it to me, Noel actually left for a year, went to Utopia, and he went, look, bigger fish, smaller pond, come over to the marshalling side. Mm. So I kind of, I could. 
certainly, you know, at PWL where it was very much te- technology driven, it was like some some engineers wouldn't know where to put a microphone and a, and a <laughs> kick drum, um, things like that. You could say that I, I, I just felt that I wasn't going to cut it in there, okay. so I took that option. So within that, so we did build these studios, and it was two cutting rooms, and I was the copy room. Okay. So that's how. Then I had my own room to start with, but I was only doing copying and and PQ and coding for CD masters and stuff like that. Okay. But so, you know, but at the time that was um, busy because you couldn't afford the equipment. See that right in my room here. I've actually got using <laughs> my own Sony system that were the kings of. CD mastering for the no- in the nineties mm. as uh, coffee tables. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that M- them four thousand over there. That mm. was so they used to copy from tape to tape. Okay, right. You know you didn't see the first CD or exabyte drive until roughly early this century, but for the nineties, this ruled all the Sony equipment, and it was very expensive. Yeah, I'd well believe so. It. No one could be just a master engineer. Yeah. As opposed to now, it was all very specialized. Yeah, very specialized, yeah. Yeah. So, and it was time. It was real time. So, you're copying types. You know. So, for instance, an early example would be this is pre any digital EQ before any limiting or anything. If Noel had cut the record and copied it onto Umatic tape as he cut the record, and he'd copy it without a gap because obviously uh, he just then dropped the the B side on. I'd have to take that tape, copy it again. But if there's any headroom, I could turn it up to digital peak, and then I'd do an edit whereby then I'd join the sort the gap between the sides. Okay, and uh, that was what that was a CD master. Then. That was a CD master. Yeah, so that's what happened. Where so all early CDs are res- are roughly uh, the same as the cut. So okay, with like less kind of obviously compre- less compression and stuff like that. Well, exactly the same. More true to yeah, yeah, more true. That's why some people actually like the sound of original CDs because there's actually nothing done to them except for they're actually on CD. But you have the other part of it whereby the the bass isn't you modded from maybe at least three hundred down. Mm. They're not a bright as bright because you, you know you, basically they they have the same sound as the limitations of vinyl had. And does still have, mm-hmm. but then, you know, the remastering came into it. So, but yeah, we can put lots of top back on it, and that's what you know. You see the first remasters, and then comes along the the finalizer. Oh, we can turn up really loud, <laughs> and not know what we're doing, <laughs> and things like that. So you, you see all stages. All the original eighty CDs are all. Basically, true, true flat copies of yeah. flat. No, not true, true, off the deck, off the off the the the, the, the cutting room desk. Okay, they're not true mixes. They're the same EQ as the cut. So basically, as the cut's been done, they've been recorded onto pneumatic tape, and that's out of the Neumann desk. Because you know, a lot of these, most of these things were done through Neumanns, and you'd be using the Neumann EQ, and even late eighties. You might have a, a GML, a George Masterberg EQ is one external EQ, but you didn't have loads of processing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was quite simple.
between now and then, obviously leaps and bounds, and the I suppose what would be considered as the norm to mastering, mixing, even recording. Now, um, you look at any of the digital stuff. Like I would, I use digital. Like digital is how I learned everything. So yeah. like analog to me is like a new thing to learn, and I, I find it very exciting, particular particularly with instruments as a producer. Um, we have some analog synthesizers and stuff in the studio. We have had them over time. Um, and I, I find that that is excellent, but like obviously digital and processing recording, everything that I would do is totally different to what you would have seen back in the day, which is obviously... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, but, I, but I know that because obviously then I went into this world, which is different anyway. Yeah. And this world is... Uh, almost static in the sense of there's not, you know, there's certain, you know, you can have a whole rack of stuff really, but essentially you've got your EQing, limiting, a bit of compression and and their interfaces and you, the most important thing is your ears. Yeah. So uh, this world, I suppose part of the ethos is in this world is that I want to keep a real experience. This is what you know. This is where I came from, and this is what expected of even for myself. That it's it's all hardware, and the two computers in the room are just tape machines for me. That's you know, one plays and one records. And they're not doing anything else. Yeah, and then that's as simple as that. So on the flip, when the PWL, we built transformation. Uh, I was there for. 16 years, uh, the arse fell out of rocket pop and everything in about 2005. <laughs> yeah. The lease was up in the building. Uh, Pete decided he wasn't going any further with any of the studio stuff, so everything was shut down. Okay. So the opportunity, well, what do I do next? Now, the thing about all this is going up about my love of vinyl is that in that period, I actually didn't learn to cut. <laughs> Too busy... I got into CDs as well because, I mean, all right, I'm going to say this, they are the better format. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrilege to some people. Sonically. Yeah. Well, you know, you, well, you, it is like, it was the f- CD market in Ireland is trad. trad, country and Irish, you know, your regular rock and pop don't, don't, know, don't go down that No, route. like for that, like even the stuff that like... It's, that just, it's the manufacturing cost and then... Yeah, yeah. And also the, it's the audience too um, because like the stuff I would send you, people wouldn't be buying CDs of that. Like even the, no, they yeah. wouldn't be within the thought range of the artist to be looking to yeah. make a CD. You yeah. know what I mean? No, it's just so. not... Like unless you're unless you're enormous, I think nowadays it's, there's not really much point for indies to be looking at that. I understand the vinyl thing. Um, I think... I don't know, there's something about putting a vinyl out and... I mean, you've seen it over the years. Of course, there is, but it's it's a lot of planning. Yeah, and and it's difficult now. And I've had lots of situations. I mean, okay, <laughs> we've gone backwards and forwards here. Anyway, let's yeah. go back slightly. Okay. So PWL, Pete knocked everything. As I said, I didn't learn. I was in the environment, but I never actually really took the opportunity to learn to cut. And then around '05, lots of studios closed down. Sony Whitfield. Uh, townhouse there was a bun- abundance of people looking for gigs and abundance of equipment out there in the second market so 
the, the carrot of, of a poor statutory redundancy on top was to buy my equipment. I just said, well, is this my time to, to come back? So I did it, and so I bought everything, came back here, rented a space. Well, my, always my intent was to get my own room. Okay. Like, the, the, like what we're in right now and yeah. to build it properly. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's bringing that up into, into play. Then going back to... But because of that environment, I inherently have a great knowledge of violin, even though I've never cut a record. But obviously, I'm, I was around it, and I was watching, it and I just physically didn't do it at all. Yeah, um, and uh, and obviously, I, so what I'm doing a vinyl version is a separate take now these days. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And and it doesn't need all the level processing that I get for the say the digital version or the CD level. Yeah. Um, and then prep it accordingly, and then even you know, I mentioned Noel before. I get Noel to cut lacquers for me now. If if people want to go down a route where I've had too many problems where you know I hand that over, it's not to do with me anymore. And someone pr- pr- picks a pressing plant and test pressings come back and they're not happy, mm. and then no one gives up an inch because the plant go well. It's not distorted. It's technically within spec and it sounds too bassy or mm. too sibilant or you you haven't got. So the best way to take that out of the equation is actually having a master engineer. Cut the lacquers. Okay, so you. No, was, so yeah, so, what, so you, what you do then is you you you'll master for vinyl. Yeah, and then send it to so a pressing plant that you understand. No, well, do well, it. either or, it's down to the clients. I mean, some gigs. My Max colleague Noel, who's a ma- okay. There's two levels of masking in there now. Mm. You could be. I could be have this same room and have a lathe in there. And cut the lacquers. Okay. Which I could have done because when I bought the equipment in 05, Malcolm's room who had retired, I could have taken all that stuff. Yeah. But it was, it was no demand. <laughs> well, I hadn't learned that way, but he was still, the equipment was actually sought after now, yeah. as you can imagine. So, but I don't think the demand is in Ireland to cut records. Well, there wasn't. It probably is now that there's a pressing plant. There is. Well, there's one pressing plant, yeah, I think. Yeah, well, they, well, they don't cut the records, so... Okay. Uh, so they would like to obviously have someone cut their records, or they do anyway. But mm. what I'm saying is that the, you know you couldn't. Have, there's no way in 2005 you could you could see the demand for vinyl. Oh, of course not. No, it's just impossible. Yeah. Um, Hindsight is 2020, isn't it? Like, <laughs> well, especially when it comes to that, because you know, but that market was on its knees, and that's why you know we talk about collecting and prices early on. Yeah. I think in that window from the start of the century to say, up to the first record store in America, in America later that, uh, you know, 07 or 08, whatever it was, you know, people were pressing less than 500 units if they wanted a vinyl version. Now they're, you know, anything in, the, in that window, they're the sought-after stuff on the collecting level. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it was, it, all of it was on its knees. Mm. But, yeah, so I, if, if a client... So does ours. I can get an old car record for me. Then it right. goes to the plant. But it, it's, again, it's relative. It's all down to who, which ones are down to volume. Like I'm, I am hopefully doing an album soon, which is double volume, which is over five hundred euro units. And I'm going via broker in Dublin to Optimal in Germany. Now they'll do everything, but they're the best in Europe. Okay. But I'm guiding that. That's right. my suggestion. No one. It's amazing how many people don't ask the mask engineer. 
Well, you should get a record cut impressed. That, well, I think <laughs> this is exactly it because, again, this is why we're here, um, you know, to maybe pull, break the, all those pull the curtain, yeah, yeah, pull the curtain back a bit, break down the walls because, like, that, I, I didn't know that, Which? you know, that a master and engineer should, or not, like, you should, like, ask a master and engineer where they would recommend getting something cut. Yeah, because, like, but I obviously did. the mastering job should be mastering it first. Of course. Because a lot of people don't do that either. We'll <laughs> go that one a bit. Of course. So if the, yeah, you, you know, the mastering engineer you're working with should know, hmm. you know what are the best options. And, that, and for me, that's I like all that because obviously, as I said, going back to the fundamentals of what you've seen, <laughs> I'm a collector, so I know a lot and I've been in that environment. So hmm. it's an advantage to know a lot. Yeah. Um, and like the only physical thing I haven't done with it is actually physically put the lacquer on and now I'm laid and press go and, and done the thing I've done this time yet every day's a school day you know uh, no <laughs> <laughs> um, I know imagine having a laid here and had to be served I mean the things just you know had to be serviced and stuff like that is yeah. actually that's not as straightforward as, as it seems yeah and again it, like you were saying it's not exactly a new technology either. So, nope, um, not at all. You know, so. Yeah, you'd wonder how, how many people are out there that actually can. Um, I was thinking about it recently. Know, service about, it and stuff. Oh, services. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, well, there you go. No, so. no, no. Not especially when you have a very old VMS 70 or, <laughs> or yeah, yeah, definitely not. Um, in terms of, let's, uh, let's kind of look at the bigger picture for uh, a minute. Mastering itself, um, the question on everyone's lips. I think. What is it? Well, yeah, what is it? Or what's the point? Well, okay. Well, obviously, it's it's translated from over the years. So, basically, originally mastering is was the cutting of the records. Okay. So it's cutting like that's you know. So basically, you know, you're 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 operating the lead and you're transferring the music. Onto the onto onto yeah onto I mean, the I, vinyl. I, I, I'm, I'm probably rec- corrected on this, but I think Malcolm told me once when he was at Abbey Road that they they learned how to cut an acetate first before the load into the mix room. But the logic is that when when they're mixing, they know what they're mixing for and the limitations are getting on the lacquer onto onto, onto a cut. So because obviously back then you know, even you know the, the frequency you know expansion wouldn't mean it would be you know, whatever, a hundred to eight k or something like that. So then they knew if you knew how to cut, and you know what you need to do to get it on there, then obviously then you could when you're mixing, you know what what you had to you know, optimize you to, to go, get, yeah, of course, yeah. get the best sound. Yeah, yeah. So then, so yeah, so a master engineer in essence was someone who and still does who has a lathe cuts lacquers. Mm. Now, some of the best master engineers in the world don't cut records anymore. Yeah, so like Bob Lovick. That, that break, yeah. yeah, so that's breaking that taboo to, and then obviously then it became, as I said, into the nineties with the Sony equipment because it's so expensive. Then obviously again it was in mastering houses that they only had it, and uh, but even still then you know before I started doing my own EQs like for things that were only coming out in digital, I would be still getting the type the EQ type from the from the the mastering room and then just editing that up as the CD master as previously said and then and then you know I was getting a chance to EQ my own things and then because there wasn't too much digital stuff there was a Sony EQ but mm. I had a digital room but 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 an analog transfer suite in the sense of 
the sources were analog or digital, but the end game was digital, but okay. it was just compiling everything. And now we're in a totally digital era, pretty much. Well, I've got an analog room. Yeah, but you've got an analog room, so it's like <laughs> yeah. to total flip. Yeah. To total flip yeah, so working towards all that, and the progression was then, obviously, I started EQ things, and I started to get my own clients, and and they were CD only, or, or yeah, you sometimes be surprised, like, for instance, I think it was 96, I did an album with Joe Wobble, who was a regular with me, and we did the album uh, Spinner with, it was a Inino album. But that's come out in final twice, it was at Richard last year. Mm. And I asked John, I was like, so what did you do? Did you dig in your bag and find on your old dat machines? He goes, <laughs> I didn't know anything about it, I must have got it from your CD. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Um, so... And then obviously that developed, and I had my own client base, and I was doing a lot of pop music, uh, mm. and you know there wasn't final releases for S Club or Five or whatever. Uh, Westlife or Boys Westlife, no, 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 I didn't. Yeah, it was purely pop. So that kept, but I got, then I became busy because yeah. I was in that era. I was in the Carl's Fuller Polydor window. Of that, that was consistent. Mm. So you had the the nineties were. This pneumatic antiquated thing was because it was real time, it was time consuming, okay. so I could never get into the cutting room. Then I became my own engineer, and I was doing all this pop world, and I became too busy, <laughs> right? So I didn't, and then, and then, as I said, even I started stop buying records then because CD was a, it was the uh, it was the dominant, medium, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was the medium, and I was I was bought into that too, and you know. Fool me to end up buying, you know, records like Dog One Star that I worked on. That I never got a copy the first time <laughs> that I ended up buying them again. <laughs> but there's lots of people like that. Yeah. Uh, so now we're in 2022. So now, fast, well, well, we'll fast forward. So basically, yeah, I bought the equipment, came home, set up in Limerick, uh, got to a point where, as you've seen, I bought my house and then. It was time to stick the studio onto it, and then yeah, this is where we are. we are now. This is where we are. Yeah. Um. So again, like to take to take all of that knowledge and what you're kind of doing now. I know yeah, so ma- mainly what I mainly what I send you just for like for the listeners kind of um, perspective and yeah. for a bit of um, I suppose guidance as to the process as to fr- from what it would take to get from studio to you, right? I'm, like, I will record in studio or I'll mix a record. When I get all the individual tracks, they'll send it to me. I'll mix that down. Yeah. Try and get the balance and dynamic as good as I possibly can. And then I send to you. Yeah, right? so on the third year, basically, I think. Yes, yes, exactly. So, so, what, go, what, so what, what then happens in, the, in when you receive okay, well, that from me? What happens? I'll just slightly go backwards again in the sense of, so, as I said, I'm asking you to cut records. Mm-hmm. And now... Then he made the CDs, and and so it's still the same process, but there's no physical entity at the end because a file comes in, a file goes out. Right. But the ethos is the same. Okay. So what? What's the process? So the process for me is, I'm just firstly listening to it, and listening to this balance of the spectrum. So is it too bassy or not bass enough, or too toppy or not toppy enough, or is vocal sibilant or? Yeah, you know, the spectrum is the the balance of the spectrum is the thing first because you just don't know where these where anything's been done. Mm-hmm. 
And then the process is just then really, obviously we're talking, so I have a chain in front of me, uh, which is all outboard hardware, and it's just it's EQ, input EQ, filtering, compression, gain, more gain, and into society. And, and and that's it really. Yeah, and so what like what would be your preference to receive? Do you would you prefer to kind of receive a flat mix, or do you like the dynamics within it, or what? Like, well, a flat I, mix is done is dynamic, isn't it? What which sorry? for me, your flat mix is is dynamic. I don't mind. I mean, I've, I've always said this. All I, I all I don't want to see is a file that's it's got no headroom and is squashed. Of course, because, because then you're not getting any of the yeah. Because well, you can do something with a limiter. Sound. I'm not. I'm not. We're not. We're not in the same brain space at the same moment in time. Very true. So you might do something you like it creatively, and you just leave it. You know. So that's why at simplest, I just want to see headroom, yeah. and I don't want to see a linear. Well, you know, you can still. <laughs> you don't want to see a big black square. Yeah, <laughs> even with headroom. Yeah, but yeah. people do that. I mean, I see things coming, and people don't understand the fact that they've gone to a plugin that's internally processed and has got automatic gain makeup, and then it's become squared at the output, and they don't even know it. And we've actually did something that we. we by we mistake, about. you've been there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, but I, I will raise it because I don't expect that from you. Yeah. That's why I say is that intentional or not. And then that's fine because then you say yes, it is, and I go that's fine because he knows what he's doing. That's 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 correct. So I'll I will use it. But I'll always be mm-hmm. wary of, you know, when I open that computer and I look at a waveform, the information is there for me immediately. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I do first. Sorry, I mean obviously we're in a situation where we're just talking, so we can't visually. I, I know, but I know. I things. think the listeners of the listeners of the pod will probably know what what, what yeah, kind so, of jargon you so, still for. Yeah, getting so that into. that first computer there, which is just. I, there's only got one thing on it, which is WaveLab, mm. and that's what I play from. But the, the first thing I'm looking for is the, the shape of the waveform. So the, the album that's coming in from Nashville this morning, I open it all up just to see, all right, every mix is the way it should be, that none of them's had a mistake, it's got any level processing in that, that might have been a different, you know. There's so many things these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will do a, a flat mix and then send the client a, a louder mix for them to listen to it better. And then the client sends me the loud mix and I have to go back and go, have I got the wrong version here? And this happens continuous loop. Yeah. But I will always question it because the fact is that was not what I like to see. So, but if, if someone goes back and says, that's it, then that's it. That's it. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, let's you were talking, you just mentioned you got a record from Nashville today and um, you're going to be looking at doing that album or yeah. collection of collection of songs when you receive a collection of things what is there like a particular thing that you're looking for are you looking for them all to be like roughly the same volume oh yeah the they all got to sit together yeah but, yeah. Uh, but not homogenized I mean I was that's the character mm-hmm. in this case I've done four songs already so this is another six to become an album so my peak level has already been set Okay. So I'll be playing each other tracks against each other and how to sit with each other in running order and then obviously just you know, it's not a balanced spectrum, but it's obviously it's down to genre. So clearly, dance music has got a lot of bottom end. <laughs> or yeah. you, you know, you don't take. I don't like the bottom end. I'm taking that off. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know. These days, I call it tickling. Okay. I try to find something just to enhance. Okay. Right. That can define the song more. 
And would that be in terms? Is that, is that across the board? Is that in terms of like um, well, so- maybe slight distression or? Um, are you talking compression? Are you talking gain? Are you talking no, EQ? No, EQ mostly, mostly. Mostly EQ. I mean, I'm, I'm quite simple in my process. I mean, the, the, I, so the real point is is the third ear. Mm-hmm. So the ear is the most important thing. I, the, the, I would say the ear is 16% and the gear is 40%. But I also have a, a more traditionalist ethos because... Master engineers at the higher level, like uh, where I came from in the UK, they don't get into playing around with MS and make, remixing songs and things like that. It's like it's just a, it's, it's it's still the same ethos. Mm-hmm. You're EQing it, you're making it a little louder, but you're listening. You get someone else that knows what they're doing to do it. thing um i actually had a i had a chat with someone yesterday um someone who i've kind of touched base with who's kind of kicking off their career in music i guess or mm-hmm. just kind of is is looking at kind of all of the different roles and you know they recently got a track mastered and they were saying that they thought they were going insane because they couldn't hear the difference they're like it okay. sounds the same and i was saying that well to me that is probably is probably a good master then if it's well it's one of the two things whether it was a good mix and the master engineer agreed with it yeah exactly or the master engineer was taking the piss <laughs> <laughs> yeah there is obviously one of two things so yeah, I, mean, I mean obviously look is a you don't want to impose yourself but generally everything needs a little assistance of course yeah, uh, it's very it's very rare that I get mixed go well. I'm not touching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's very few, but even you know, it, then at those levels it's subtle. But what you are doing is then you're you know when you send me a song, mm-hmm. you're it's the greatest compliment I can pay back to you is I don't do much and I don't, but it just needs those little little enhancements. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's that's exactly what I think. The, that that to me is the definition <laughs> of a master and engineer. It's someone who you can trust to hand this off to that makes those tiny enhancements that just finish yeah. the song off. It's the polishing, it's the rounding of the edges. Yeah, but me. it's also in a different environment. 100%, yeah. Because I'm going to go into the bit where mix engineers being master engineers and just turning it up is not mastering. No, it's not. Like, and, 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 and Because how can you pass that off? But people, that's the thing, as you said, a lot of people in this country don't understand what a master engineer is. And you go to the studio and you get it mixed and they say, well, do you want it mastered now? And well, what I do is that person going into another room and applying a different set of equipment or, yeah. or has he got, takes his head off and put his mastering head off. Yeah. You're mixing the record. You know, if you're, what could you do in with mastering it that was, you shouldn't do, you should not have done when you were mixing it. And see the point, like what I would say to that for, for some color for the listener, um, my studio and your studio look totally different. Yeah. Right, they are treated totally differently. There's totally different equipment. Yeah, um, but also as a mix engineer, I'm putting my mix engineer hat on for a minute because it is something that I do as well as production. But I don't touch mastering. Yeah, I, I won't touch it because I know that I'm not set up for it. And 
when people uh, and I have had people ask if I will master well, your, records. If you if you said if you had this master something for someone, mm-hmm. you're literally just making it louder though. Yeah, I w- but I would attempt to. I wouldn't even go near it. No, but if you ever did or ever have, have you just made it louder, or have you actually tried to EQ your own mix in a, in a stereo environment across the stereo bus? Well, yeah, that would be what I would. Yeah. But then, uh, if you, how I would approach it if I was yeah, to be. But then, wouldn't you go? Well, I'll just like that change. Why don't I just go back to the mix and change it? In exactly. The mix? There's no but, point. Like, yeah, mix engineers don't see that. Yeah. It's like, well, if you can hear what you want to change by self mastering it, why don't you just change your mix? Yeah, it, to me, it's just, like I said, it's, you're set up totally differently. But also, as a mix engineer, you're far too close to the mix to be making those decision, decisions, one in a true environment. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, like, the way your studio is set up, it's treated... As you say, yeah, this is a purpose-built room for the purpose, uh, yeah. for this gig, and it's a fl- as true as... It's true, yeah, yeah, exactly. True tone is, exa- is what you're kind of looking to get in a mastering suite, of course. Besides, I mean, you don't know where someone's... Doing something, you know, I mean, you say for example, uh, classic fold where uh, speakers in the corner and you get a mix and there's no bass. Yeah, and you go, well, because they're hearing too much and there is none there at all. So that's why, as I said, listened initially on the spectrum first. These are the, I'm looking already for these common errors first, mm-hmm. uh, and then I was, yeah, ideally, I just want to be tweaking a mix. And generally, most stuff that comes in like that—that's yeah, what I'm doing. I'm just giving that little enhancement, but also knowing how loud loud is. That's interesting. Because, oh yeah, because actually, the, the the thing with hardware is that it kicks back, <laughs> and you have to listen for what it's doing. Okay. So, so it's about knowing your equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like 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 the hardware version of the L2, which they're not make too many of those. I mean, I think with a software version, you can make it as loud as you want. Yeah. Well, I can hear, for instance, when the, the snare loses its tone. It and starts car- to bite a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, you've gone too far then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what actually what I'm list- usually listening to on it. It's like the snare changes. Uh, so you you, you got to find that little point where that, that's it. But without trying too hard, I get to the volume I want to get to anyway or not, or not too shy of it with the hardware. And that's kind of, I'm happy with that. Now, I'm not into loudness. I think the great thing with Spotify and all that, it has knocked all that back on the head. Yeah, because it, is it because they do it for you kind of thing, or is it? Well, because they turn it down if it's too loud. Yeah. Um, to start with allegedly. I mean, I've never. It's so hard to to actually prove what they do. <laughs> yeah. Or all, any of them what they do. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. I think yeah. it, it's like it's just being. It's like drinking. It's being responsible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good don't, get, don't get too loud or you'll <laughs> fall over um, yeah I think like that to me it, it, you kind of are um, I suppose verifying what my thoughts were on on a mastering engineer and you know over the years you kind of get to learn because because we've like do, again we have worked together for a number of years now probably three yeah. could, could be even more Um you get to learn what you probably get to learn what my sound is, but also I oh, get yeah. I get to learn what I'm getting back from you as well. Yeah, yeah but, you, but you're not but you're not thinking of me when you're doing what you're doing. No, of course not. No, that's the main thing. Yeah, except you, for, you can't do that. I don't no, you think. can't do that either. Exactly because, um, so that's the good thing. That's the way it works. You do your thing, and, and like I said, unless a mix comes in with, with processing or an error on it, 
you know, you know, and if I ever, ever, well, anyone, if I ever have an issue, I will tell them. But in recent times, the other, the other flip of it is, if you get the, if you get the master back, you know I'm happy, yeah. and I don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that that's always nice just to see the weed transfer thing. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It's because yeah. it's done, done my bit. Yeah, but you, you, people got to allow me to do my bit too. So, because yeah. yeah. I can correct, but it is correction in the sense of correcting this this the, the spectrum. So, mm-hmm. if I can do what I need to do, then it's done. But I would probably say to someone, look for future reference. It was a little bass heavy, you know, or and I think we've like again. I think we've probably had those conversations oh, yeah, in the early people, days, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or whatever, really. But you know, and it's perspective then about mm. you know what is what is louder, what perceived louder than something else. It's also perspective and it's also opinion too. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, like so, you say, sixty percent ears, forty percent yeah gear. But yeah, yeah. So as I said, even though I didn't become a studio engineer. I've got more production hat on me now because of the time. You know, I've been doing this for 35 years, so um, I have an opinion now, you know. Yeah. And some bands I will help production and that I have done in the past from locally, um, or guidance or whatever. So, uh, yeah, you do have, you know, technically Brian Eno doesn't call himself a musician, but he's a producer. Yeah. (laughs) So you can, in some ways, be, and you are in the art of making decisions, I think, but, yeah, I think. But only, obviously, you're only making a decision over a stereo mix, so. But that, that's true, but I don't think that has any less merit than you know if it was if it was to be over. Oh, it has uh, far every, less. Do you know what I mean? But that's part of the cake. I mean, I, I, I think that's open for debate. I think for me, I think if you're at any stage of decision making, you could probably call yourself a producer. But the only part, yeah. But the the biggest part of all this is experience. Yeah. So, I've said it many times. You just can't become a master engineer. No, it's so like, anyone. Yeah, it's, do you, so uh, are you saying it's a progression from maybe mixing or a progression from something else? Well, it would from the way I've done it, but obviously the opportunities are not there to do that anymore. It's true, yeah. Um, and as I said to you to start, the way this has gone, it's like this is what I'm meant to be. This is what I am. You know, this is what I do. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No turning back. No, no, no. Um, and that's what I'll continue want to do only uh, yeah. is to sit here all day mastering songs. Yeah, and it, I, I suppose the what I would like to just highlight. I, I think we've probably touched on it already. It's just the benefit, like to a new artist, because I think a, a lot of the listener base of this podcast would be people who are obviously very much into the music industry and people mm-hmm. who want to learn more, but also new artists because they, what I, again, what I like to do is I like to just provide the information because yeah. when I was, you know, a yeah, young it's, artist, exactly. it's, it's not true. there. It's the, not, yeah, yeah. the information is, it's just not there generally. Well, I think it should be more, but obviously I, mean, I assume that a lot of people these days will be going to college courses of course, yeah. first. Yeah. So I know that Certainly the local one have written a mastering part into the last year now. That's great. But again, I don't think any of that would happen if I wasn't here because they've come down here and sat in and actually seen a facility that someone actually does this part mm-hmm. of it for real. And do you think that... Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was an education loan just to have something like this here. That, yeah, 100%. And I think just like, like to have it locally, obviously, is amazing for... For the lo- for the local you know education yeah. the local education community, but I think as well 
we were talking about experience. Do you think that people might see this and be like, I can do that? Because, like, to me... Oh, yes, that's, that's why I said to you earlier on, I mean, there's, you know, okay, and while we're talking about it right now, what we're all going through is, like, I charge 50 euro a track. Mm-hmm. And I've charged 50 euro tracks since 2006. <laughs> and my ethos right now is, like, it's better to be fair and... Uh, uh, and, and and helpful at that price, but then when I start looking at other people who are not mastering engineers who are mastering and charging hundred euro track, yeah. I'm going. Well, that's just, just that's just not right. It's it's uh, in a way, I feel there's a, like it's kind of disrespectful. Well, they're probably to, not aware of. No, probably not. But at the same time, like I think if you were to if you're to put a hat on and start labeling yourself as this, that, or the other, you need to kind of walk the walk. Yeah. Um, rather well, than just talk to talk. Yeah, but in those situations, it is again someone mixing it and then turning it up because going, as I said, going back earlier on, you can't you can't be in the same room being, and then say put my master engineer hat on and use a whole pile of different equipment on their mix because you don't. No, and the you're, only thing you're, that you're, you're, well. you're ever going to do is either cue the stereo bus and, and make it louder. Yeah, in the same environment. So what is that going to achieve? Yeah, again, it's probably nothing. Maybe like a slightly better mix on a like on a, on a stereo yeah. mix or whatever. But like, what? So to me, like, just just out of curiosity for the process, um, I'm looking at all of the equipment here in front yeah. of me. It's obviously like within touch and distance. Yeah. Um, when you are, you so say, I assume, are you doing stuff on the fly? Like, are you working? No, with, there's one setting for the whole thing. One setting for the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, again. We got to a level where I just listened to it. I know what I want to do. I don't want to be sitting there for hours trying to figure this out. Yeah, and like that's because that's what that's what I end up doing. No, so like, I don't yeah, want. That's your gig. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't no, want to pass I, that off. I will get one sound, and that's one sound for anything. And so if someone goes, "Can you turn this bit up here and go, go back to your mix?" Go yeah, one hundred percent. And it's one color for the whole thing, and that's yeah. it. And that again is. So that's it. Colour cool. cool. is such an important, I think there's a really important adjective. Well, it has to come from the mix. Though. I mean, can, you can only, I'm only drawing colour out. So people have to understand you know, a mix can be black and white and a mix can be colour. And it can be like a painting. It can hi- have height, width, depth, colour, tone. you got to see that and hear that mm-hmm. in a mix. Yeah. And generally, I, it's very rare now since I've got a black and white mix, I must tell you. So people are doing these things for themselves are, are, are doing good jobs uh, and it can be quite surprising at times some of it actually yeah um, yeah so what I have is just the enhancement of all that and but you know I'm only as I will always say I'm only as good as the mix in front of me yes yes so th- to speak on that and kind of um, maybe dig into that a little bit deeper the relationship with a mix and engineer, I think personally as a mix engineer, I feel that there's a lot of weight to having a good relationship with a mastering engineer that you can trust to send something to. Yeah. That you can, I think that's just the fundamental. I mean, yeah. you know we're at a level where I just do it. Which is obviously... And I say, that's that's the simple... Yeah, which that's a, and that makes me feel good about the work I'm doing as well because it means yeah. that you're not... First of all, you're not second guessing yourself. Second of all, you're not, no, you know, you no, know, you're not questioning me on well, decisions that I'm make, making, which is nice, you know. Yeah, well, I, yeah, it's if I ever do any of that, it's with the right intent, of course. And uh, I under, and I understand. And some that. people can take that the wrong way as well. Yeah, 
Um, and, I'll, and I identity will always, I'm wary of doing that. So I won't, you know, I, when I do do that, it's for the right reason. And, and number one, I don't do it to anyone I don't really, really know mm. or haven't have a working relationship with. Yeah. Because it's guidance. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I would have always taken it as like any any feedback that I would have gotten from you. And in general, I think we've we spoke about one song we did recently, but that was a again we were talking earlier about is this intentional? Yes it was. Yeah. Okay, fine. But um there was you know, back in the early days you maybe were like, Oh, you know, this is a bit there, here, here, there, wherever and you were like, Maybe if you and then you were saying to me, Well, I can only do so much so maybe change it in the mix and see what that sounds like. And that was the that was the secret. Yeah. That, that was the key to unlock the, the puzzle, you know. So it was obviously a, of great merit for me to get that. But that's what I mean when I say I think that there is so much weight to have in that relationship because it's like, from the experienced master and engineer side, back when I was, you know, maybe a bit newer to the mixing, I'm certainly a lot, I feel a lot more comfortable I feel a lot like a lot more knowledgeable now than I certainly was back yeah. then. So yeah, to, you're, you're a one with it. I'm, you know, I, I can say I'm, I'm very much a one with it too. I mean, yeah. this room is the best room I've ever had. Yeah, and it, it like it sounds from the, from here. We it sounds phenomenal. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the feel in the room is the feel in the room is great. Yeah. We haven't yeah. I haven't listened to anything yet, yeah. but yeah, um, yeah it's it, it's great and like even it, it, it's just the difference. The difference in just in the setup and the room, in in terms of how it is, just to kind of describe it to the listener. So we've, just, we've kind of got a, a curved desk in the middle of the room, but then the monitors. And this is something I see an awful lot in studios, and I kind of hate this seeing is, it. Is when uh, the monitors are almost on the ear, on your ears. Okay, yeah. and uh, like I think there's like that's clearly fucking amazing to have those oh, yeah, they, I mean, the way coos- back there the coos- well yeah that was all done on mats and the acoustician decides where they went and you know at least two metres away from the back wall and mm-hmm. then and two and about a metre away from your desk as well maybe and two some, yeah. and then high enough that the reflections that, that bouncing off the desk are not cancelling the direct signal and because uh, Nick who did the room he going well these t- speakers are a bit too small for the room and I'm going, well, look, I could put 15 grand's worth of PMCs in there, but I won't earn me any, any more money. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. So, what's the point? Who come to get you none? They want guns. I'll be the first to set off shit. Last to run. Who woe together is one. I call my brother son because he shine like one. Check it. Scriptures hit the body like sword off shoddy. Like my hair naughty and my nose piece snotty. Fuck a nigga hottie. That whole pussy probably. Burn like the deserts of Mugabe for red. Ain't nothing fraudulent here. We pioneer. Commandeer a new frontier. This be the root. Yeah. 36 chambers of fear. But also, like, so I've got the... But I'm really happy with, I, I'm really happy with the... You know, those channel X and they're, they're incredible. So are they? What are they? Eighty one hundreds or eighty fifties? Eighty fifties. So I've got eighty. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I've got eighty tens. Yeah, at home, and I use them for. Well, certain people see. What I think, you know, I find that people either like they're my mind. People like channel X or don't like them. I've actually been using them a different version. 1032s before these so yeah um, but they didn't work over here the, the, interesting yeah the, the, there was no pace <laughs> I don't know why but it didn't work in the what I find the, my first pace what I find about the 8010s is that they are in, the response is incredibly flat mm. and like what I'm listening to 
on those I feel like if I get a good mix on my Genel X they'll sound good anywhere yeah. and well, I've, yeah. I've yet to be proved wrong yeah. on that so um, it means you take your mixes home well no I actually have my 8010s at oh. home my 8010s are at home in my home setup so I've got a small yeah. home setup but my studio setup we have um, focal SM9s so they are full range monitors so they've got subs in them and everything which yeah. is kind of dangerous when you're mixing on those because you can well as long as it's not if, if well as long as it's true, I've obviously no. I've yeah. You have yeah. never given me anything with excessive bass. So. Well, see, the good thing about the SM9s is that they have what's called focus on it, um, so you can hit focus. It takes the sub out and it flattens. Okay. It flattens the curves that are on it. So you can, if you mix on the focus, it tends to be a lot more like it would be on my Genel X. But what I'm doing is more often than not, I'm prepping a mix on the 8010s. Just trying to get a rough balance, trying to make everything kind of sound right. I'll take it then to the SM9s. If I like it on the SM9s, then I send it to you. Okay. Where in this room, when I turn something up and it's bassy, it's the room. It's not. The, it's the speaker, but it's the room. It's the room giving me the right information. Yeah. But, the, and that, you know your space as well. So yeah, you know when to, like you say, it's the same about knowing your equipment, knowing your yeah. space, oh, I think no, is I important mean, these too. days, I will master a song in 15 minutes half an hour mm. I'll just turn around and go right I need to know what to do this immediately yeah and that's it and then fine tune it a little bit but I'm, I'm usually there on first instant yeah there's a great um, there's a great video recently of uh, I don't know if have you heard of Fred again no okay he's a he's a, again a dance musician from the UK but mm-hmm. he work he, he works quite closely with Another dance musician, Kieran Hebden, Fortet. Oh, okay. Um, but he sends his mixes to Fortet uh, because there's a, like a particular spot in his house that he checks the bass. It's like a corner of a room that he stands in. Yeah. There's a great video of them oh. on FaceTime and he's like, listen to it, he just gives the thumbs up on the thing. So it's, yeah, yeah again, about well, like... clearly there's going to be bass in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, that's not actually being truthful then. Well, I mean... <laughs> It's all about there's the feel to it as well, but I suppose when you're when you're talking mastering world, it is it's all about truth, then the truth of the audio. Um, oh yeah, and it's nice yeah. to be in a position where you know that the room is giving you exactly the information that you need. Yeah, you know? oh, yeah that's the whole point. Yeah, 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 that's why. I mean, there is no other purpose-built mastering room in this country. That's true. That's true. That's true. The only Very one. True. Screw like it. this, it's the only one like this. Yeah. yeah, with all the mats and all the bells and whistles, and that was all on the walls. <laughs> the magic we can't even see it. All of the stuff we've. I mean, basically, this is an upside-down bunker. I mean, this is concrete, flooded concrete floor, precast concrete ceiling. It's an it's an upside-down bunker. Amazing. And then all the treatments in the the in the walls. Though there's more. They're only for the, what you see on on hanging on the walls are for tuning the room. Mm-hmm. The, the, Just to the dampen the build. dampened frequencies and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, but what's in the walls? The, the treatment has gone into the walls, the rock walls, and different variants. That's yeah. that's the secret as well. Yeah, we like we had a bit of trouble um, when we were. We kind of built the. You haven't. I don't think you've seen my studio. We were no. talking earlier. You haven't been in there. Um, next time you're up in Dublin, definitely come down. But um, we have. It, it's the room isn't quite as wide as this. I feel like it's probably about as long. Yeah. But well, um, these are again. It's all done in um, uneven numbers. On uneven numbers. Yeah. So I think I think it's uh, nine by five by seven or something. 
I th- yeah, I don't know. There's like, I think it's ours is like that's, something that's, by six. Again, but this is all down to the decision decided of this. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, in fairness, now we were kind of, we're working with a room that was, that was already there. Yeah. So, so uh, the space, but, but it was also based on my first space about the, in, in, I am a long cavernous room, but I section off a bit. And I was happy with my, my sound, so I got Nick over to measure all that. And he was very happy for something which was stonework with uh, basically the foam acoustic treatments. Mm. But in the certainly one that was overhead controlled the room quite well. And, and this I, is Nick, what's his? Uh, Whitaker. Nick Whitaker. Um, so he was really happy with him. So we took the, the dimensions of the space from that environment. And obviously he picked the odd numbers, and obviously I have basically a room for you, to sit, anyone to sit on the couch. But mm. there's room, there's, swing, there's no, you know, there's, it's open. It has the feeling of openness, but it's it's dead, but it's not dead. It's not sucking the air out of the room either. Yeah, like I actually, t- what I thought coming in here when I was going to sit down was that I was almost going to be able to like hear my own thoughts in my ears kind of thing you know I thought it was going to be completely dead but it's actually really nice I think our studio is actually more dead than yours which is interesting because like I said you can feel you actually I mean terrible word to be using but you can feel dead when you walk into a room that's meant to be dead yeah you can it almost suck in it's jarring yeah it's very jarring but and obviously when you get a room you know especially in recording where it's you know being in many that are meant to be that way Mm -hmm. Then I will say that's fine, but I don't. A lot of people will come in here and going, it feels dead, but I actually don't. I think it's just perfect. No, it feels right. good. Yeah. yeah, it feels really good. Um, but like I was saying, sorry, just to. Spin and all, all these things are important because, you know, again, to translate the fact that the build and everything, the room, is all part of the environment to get the end result mm-hmm. and being comfortable working in it. And I think, just, just yeah. to walk in here and going, right, I'm straight at it. Yeah, and that's how I feel about my place as well. Like to talk about just the work environment by itself, I I think I mean you could go on for another three hours about it, but like it's incredibly important. And like I have to say, like I know as a young a young person working in the arts, especially like someone who's you know working in a studio in Dublin City, I'm, we're incredibly lucky that we have the place that we do. Yeah. Um, and you know it's a very privileged position to be in, but. I think to be able to have your own place, there's like an incredible amount of merit to it. And there's like a lot of good that comes out of having that. Like well, not only just for your work output, but also for your health. Your, well, your well, there's obviously health. logic. I mean, there's logic in, you know, it's definitely the wrong game to, to if you want to make a proper living. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, I, I think we, yeah, and you know that we can say that unequivocally, I think, yeah. You know, having studio rental and, and then the home rental mm-hmm. you know it's so obviously I amalgamate that in the, what I've set up it was like a no brainer but you know it's what I do and yes you need to work to survive so uh, it has to come in but at the same point yeah, you do not think that this is a, a business that you're gonna you're just gonna get by yeah but also it's not I don't think it's a business you can just like we're just going back to mastering now not necessarily just generally but it's not a business you can just walk into no. um, well, and I think that's, that's like it's very important to kind of highlight well, that well, yeah, again the flip of all this you know is that 
for an artist like a client like you, the world is your oyster. You don't have to use me. You can use anyone in the world now. That's true. So I do appreciate uh, your your work. Mm-hmm. So and it's what I you know the, my premise when I came back was to bring my experience back to this country, to where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So you have an experience engineer. I mean, there's I will consider like Aiden and Fergal as my contemporaries as professional engineers in this and country. Just, that's Fergal Davis and yeah. Aiden Foley. Aiden Foley, yeah. But beyond that, um, there's not you know there's not many mask engineers. There. And certainly dedicated masking. Yeah, leaders. purpose, purposeful. Purpose. And, I, and yeah. I've only, and I'm the only one has ever mastered only because I'm, as we discussed earlier on, uh, prior to we started, I'm a non-musician. <laughs> Which is, I don't know if it's. Uh, I, was just I think say, it's probably a good thing. Do at you times, consider though. an advantage? Yeah. Yeah, because I can be less objective. I mean, sometimes I, and obviously I can hear tuning issues. It has to be very obvious. Well, I will hear them, but I'm listening it in a completely different way. In some respects, so, mm-hmm. and obviously I'll be listening to the final product in mind as opposed to the musicianship in mind. So yes, where I felt it was a hindrance to being uh, going from recording engineer, mix engineer to be a producer, to going into a mastering engineer, I think that it's absolutely fine in the sense of. But look, it's in life. This is what it was meant to be, and that's it, <laughs> as well. Very true. I can't have got this far and not be any good <laughs> not or, be, or not exactly. be found out, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, I suppose just to finish up, um, would you like to see more mastering engineers just speaking on the kind of, you know, lack of purpose? Well, there isn't lack. It's just, uh, I don't know, see more. I mean, obviously, <laughs> who wants more competition? Uh, that's <laughs> obviously the flip side of it. But, but as, well, as an I, art form, as an art form, do you, would you like to see it thing because like I think I think it will be I mean, it always will be in a sense of but okay when I started in 87 I got to know all the the, the, the top cats in London some of them are still coming and they were all then <laughs> so the bigger names are the bigger names are the the long, people that have been doing the longest and they still are so Again, it's obviously about the end results, you know. Someone, you know, if someone did a song, and see, you just never know. I mean, people will move on, or people, you know. But unless you go right, who's the best one right now? I'll get five songs, same mix, master with five songs. I can afford to do that. I'll go with the guy I think is the best. You will never know in that moment in time who's the best result because you can't say that they're all going to. There's no, you're not going to get the same result. It's true. And it's very hard to decide, but obviously what I would like to see is more work staying in the country, fundamentally. Yeah. More mask engineers, I will still argue the point that it's all about experience. And you just can't become a mask engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had a journey to get to this point. Of course, yeah. And I'm sure Aiden and Fergal are the same. Yeah, exactly. So that experience that's what you bring to every day. So you just cannot, when you actually look at, as, as you say, explaining it, and then obviously looking at the what people conceive as a mask engineer, mm-hmm. making something louder is not a mask engineer. No. So that's I think the whole... the end of your mix bus. <laughs> I, th- I think the fact that it has to go into another environment and that person has to be in a different environment and a specific environment, like everything in, the, in this room is stereo only. 
and its purpose for what I do, then you're a mastering engineer. Mm-hmm. So if you set up a room that's purely for mastering, then you can call yourself a mastering engineer. But if you've got a room that's a, a mixed room, a recording room, uh, that's not a mastering engineer. Yeah, it makes that makes perfect sense to me. And I think that really is, you know, it's defining the information for like new, like a new artist who might not want, like, again, might not have had the benefit of like a course in the likes of BIM of course, or, yeah. or in LIT or, you know, UL or whatever. Um, they mightn't have the benefit of actually like being aware of the role of mastering. But I think the role of mastering for me, and I always do highlight this, is that it is imperative to the process. I think it's just like... Oh, it's automatic. It's the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, any, any, you know, when I was in the UK... You know, everything I did was for majors. I mean, you'd never see a major level going, well, we're not mastering this. We don't have the budget or it, 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 that doesn't happen. And again, in essence, going from the 70s, the 80s and 90s to now, a master engineer is always sitting at a desk twiddling stereo things. <laughs> it's just that I'm not cutting a lacquer anymore, which still can happen. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting a file in, manipulating it and sending it back out as a file. Mm. But there's still... Uh, an output at the end it's just a different file Uh, instead of cutting a lacquer instead of presenting a U-Matic tape or an Exabyte tape or a CD-ROM for um, CD manufacturing you know there's still an there's there's an in and there's an out to it yeah and it is like I say it feels like it's the final piece of the puzzle for me so I think we've kind of covered everything off there um where can people find your repertoire and your work? On the old website. Wavmastering.com. Wavmastering.com. Com. I wasn't sure if it was .com or IE. Uh, no, um, I'll stay com because I, uh, I registered right, so. when I was in London. <laughs> yeah. I, I was paying .co in the UK as well for a while. but And I've left it .com because, well, I'm, I'm also, well, okay, I am global as mm. But actually, stuff you know, like the one I mentioned previously from Nashville. Yeah, the, the blokes is from Killaloo. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I do, there's always a connect- bit of nepotism there. <laughs> well, not nepotism, uh, no, but in a sense, no. But there'll always be. I mean, I will do stuff, but it'll be always through something I've done for someone else. Of course, yeah. You know, it's I, mean, out, I think in this industry is the yeah. Biggest. But even across Europe, mm. you know, for a period I was doing stuff for a, a studio in Spain, but. There's a bloke from Limerick that was did an album there, and <laughs> I've gone into well into Eastern Europe at times, you know. Again, just on someone had been in Ireland or someone's side, but I am obviously I, I like to do as much as I can locally in Ireland and, and in Ireland, but I do get international work, and it's, yeah. but it's, it is Irish connected, yeah, or someone I know from my past in London. But also, like I think. I will have already mentioned a lot of the big and heavy hitters in your repertoire at the intro of this podcast, but um, I think that I'll your try that later then. your disc- your discography, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think it's definitely worth giving a breeze over. But uh, your discography, I think, speaks for itself. Um, and and what, what it does also is, it, you know, it, it covers again what master engineers have to do is genres. And the master engineer will be able to take on everything, mm-hmm. no matter. What. It was kind of different when you cut records because you got known for cutting uh, trad records. Dance, or... No, well, not in the UK. You dance. You mm-hmm. you became a dance specialist or you became a rock specialist. But uh, that's knowing how to get that onto the lacquer. But it's different, you know. Now that's why I made 
my one genre specific, my discography, because I've People done so much. And, but yeah. Yeah, so to show that it's not a a certain genre, a certain window, is to show that it's right across the board. Yeah. Because music is music, really. And uh, yeah, we should be able to. And it's inherent knowledge, and it's that comes from everything from being in studios, being a fan, to listening to music, to going to gigs. It's a passion that is that is my my life really. Mm. And yeah, so I, I, I'm 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 all music in the sense of yeah. I've met people that worked in studios going don't even like music. Going, why are you here? <laughs> it's all consuming for yeah. me. It's vocation. Yeah, it is a vocation. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a fan. I'm a collector. I go to gigs. I work it. Yeah, I just, yeah. live, breathe, live, breathe. Sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard, thanks very much. Wabmastering.com. If anyone is looking to get their stuff mastered, I can't recommend Richard anymore. Um, and it's not just because he's sitting here in front of me. It's because <laughs> we, uh, ha- like I said, we have had a very good relationship for the past three years. So yeah. uh, Wabmastering.com for all the bits and bobs. Richard, thank you very much for thank coming you, on sir. the podcast. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks so much to Richard for taking the time and inviting me down to Limerick to spend some time in his mastering studio. Like I said, it was uh, really, it was an education and I stayed afterwards for a little while um, just listening to the room that he had built and how it kind of sounds in comparison to mine and just some little things and um, things like that. And yeah, just had a really, really nice day. Um, to be honest, it was a, it was a day well spent. Um, definitely worth the journey up and the journey back. Five hours in the car in total. Um, but definitely, definitely, definitely worth it. Um, like I said, you 100% knew the people you heard there. Um, some of the songs you definitely knew. Um, you would have heard Robert Miles' Children, probably one of the most iconic dance songs of the 90s into the 2000s. And um, still to this day, that piano riff is just like... You know, it's iconic. Um, you would have heard Two Unlimited there with a very, <laughs> with a very, very, very popular song, No Limit. Um, you would have heard uh, the more kind of ambient one was actually Brian Eno and Ja Wobble. Um, it was a song by them called Spinner. And to open the show, I had to start with uh, arguably his most legendary um, his most legendary piece in the form of David Bowie. Um, Richard actually mastered the radio edit of Strangers When We Meet, which is mad. Like it, it, you're sitting in a room with a guy who's like ma- like taking a mix record and mastered this record for you know distribution to radio and CDs and this that and the other. And also the rap record you would have heard in there was uh, Wu Tang Clan. Would you believe? Yeah, he's had a lot to do with. Um, a lot of people, a lot of places. Um, I'm just going to quickly scroll through his discography here. Um, so in the last 30 years, he's um, mastered legends like Christy Moore, Clannad, Finbar Fury, Foo Fighters. Um, in terms of classical music, you've got people like David Holmes, Michael Nyman, Paddy Mulcahy, uh, Russell Watson in dance to Unlimited, as you would have heard, Arm- Andrew Weatherall, uh, Armin van Helden, Carl Cox, Deep Dish, Felix, Groove, Arm- Groove Armada, excuse me, uh, Le Boom, he did All of My Highs by Le Boom, Paul Oakenfold, Orbital, um, in electronic stuff, he would have done uh, work for Jape, 
uh, Ocean of Frequency, which was the Choice Music Prize winner. Um, Half Set was another Choice Music Prize nomination. Um, New Order, Sia, Sparks. Um, in terms of folk stuff, he would have done work with Declan O'Rourke, David Keenan, Gavin Glass, Hermitage Green, Emma Langford, uh, Eva Scott, um, Ryan Sheridan, and uh, all other kind of funk, hip-hop, rap, soul stuff on his website. Um, we've got uh, Kojak's Deli, Danger- Deli Daydreams, the Choice Music Prize nominated um, mixtape. Um, he's done some stuff for Blazing Squad, um, Wu-Tang Clan, like you would have heard. Um, on the Indian rock side, you've got All Twins, Aslan, Ben Falls 5, um, Chris Rhea, Foxshaw, Interpol, uh, Jill's Holland, Matchbox 20, Pillow Queens, uh, Gay Girls was mastered by Richard. Um, so uh, Before We Forgot How to Dream was the Choice Music Prize winner and the UK Mercury Prize nominated uh, album. And Grimtown was the Choice Music Prize nominated album by Soak as well. Another one um, mastered by... Another one mastered by Richard. Uh, Weekly Corners, Villagers, Whipping Boy. Like, the list is absolutely endless. Totally, totally, totally endless. And then for pop stuff, of course, you have to pay. Um, yeah, have to pay a little bit of uh, homage to some of the stuff that he's done in the uh, Simon Cowell era, as he explained to me. Uh, Boyzone, Busted, um, E17, Emma Bunton, uh, Five, Gary Barlow, Eurythmics, Gemma Hayes, uh, Lionel Richie, Kylie Minogue, S Club Seven, Sophie Ellis Baxter, Victoria Beckham. Will Young, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but he's also done some trad stuff in the form of Eva Blake, Boxing Banjo, Brendan Mulholland, Connor Lamb, Deirdre Galway, Carl Hayden, Kyolta, uh, Kua Kuig, um, John McSherry, John O'Connolly, Kevin Meehan, uh, Moxie, Moya Brennan, and Cormac DeBarra, uh, the Conifers, the Tree, the tree Tones, um, Ullid and Duke Special, lots and lots and lots of stuff I have also left out I was reading off a list there because it was far too much to remember um, and that's obviously a testament to Richard and his work to be honest because um, you know he is just a total powerhouse um, obviously I'm very biased but I've been using him for the last three years if you're looking to get your track mastered it's richard at wavmastering.com um, you can email him to master your tracks you can find him at wavmastering limerick and um, if you search on on google but it's also wavmastering.com is his website you'll find um, a biography you'll find his discography examples of his work um, some pictures of a studio as well for the gear nerds out there um, if you want to have a look and see what he's got um, I think personally my favourite part was seeing an actual Shadow Hills compressor live in the flesh um, the size of it the weight of it was absolutely incredible really loved it um, we discussed that briefly on the podcast but yeah it was um, a phenomenal experience to experience a mastering studio properly because um as someone who's kind of working on the music creation side of things, it's nice to see how it operates kind of on the back end. And uh, yeah, I got a real good insight into how that was. Also, I hope it was educational for you and the listener in terms of a mastering engineer, what they were, what they are now and what the purpose is um, and what they kind of do to assist everyone in getting their music across the line. So um, thank you so much for, for listening to another episode. And again, I must say, I really, really appreciate the continued support. Thank you so much um, for supporting us on Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash no encore if you're looking to support the show. Um, and 
hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um, to stay tuned with the No Encore feed. Every Friday there's a new episode out. And this, before the Encore, is the last Monday of every month. So I'll be back at the end of October with a brand new guest, a brand new chat. Um, but it's going to be the same old me behind the mic. So um, for this month, I've been Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. This has been Before the Encore. As Dave Hanratty says, every week there will be no encore, but I'll be back next month. Take care. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.